Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Awesome. Uh, I just want to quickly give you an announcement. I know that Sam shared just a little bit ago about the launch of our small group ministry, and that is an incredible one to help you to plug in and really become a part of the family around here. Another way that I want to share with you right now, and this is a a little campaign we're doing in-house right now, is called Find Your Place. Find your place, and it's really to help you to find your place on one of our serving teams. If you want to get more out of your church experience, your walk with God over the next semester or over the next school year, whether you're a student or not here today, um, this can make all the difference. It's just letting us know that, hey, I'm interested. I'd like to know where I could plug in or here's some areas that I might be interested in plugging in. And there's three ways you can do that. You can pick whichever one you would rather do. You can scan that QR code and it'll take you to a link and you can just let us know how we can get started helping you and we'll have a staff member get in touch with you. Uh, Another way you can do that is just texting find your place to 97000. You can do it that way. Or you can go to our little area up here in the upper lobby and just let us know there. And uh, we would love to be able to follow up with you and help you to find your place here in Brazos Fellowship. And we've had so many people who said through the years, that's what was the game changer for them. When they finally kind of stepped over the line of just, just spectating and starting to participate in helping the church do its thing every weekend, which you may not be realize that, but it takes hundreds of people to just to pull off church each weekend. And we're so excited about that, that you could be a part of that and be a part of the team. And, and it's a great way to connect with people. So with that said, we're going to continue our series this morning called, What If Jesus Was Serious? And in this series, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And many people down through the ages have read this sermon and said, surely Jesus wasn't serious. Like, surely he meant maybe someday when we get in heaven we can do with this stuff, but could we really do that here on earth? Are we really expected to do this now? But the fact is Jesus was and is serious, and if we don't take him serious, then no one else will take him serious. As a matter of fact, I shared a couple of weeks ago how there is national surveys of people outside of the church, outside the Christian church that said, we would be willing to take Jesus more seriously if more of his followers took him more seriously, which is kind of convicting because the fact is that more people who call themselves followers of Jesus, Christians, ought to look at the things that Jesus actually said and say, if I expect anybody else to follow what Jesus said, I have to be willing to say, I'll go first. I have to be willing to take him seriously first. And that's really where this message is, series is starting, is looking at what did Jesus actually say. Now, I want to back up real quick. Before we dive into the message this week, Jesus went throughout the land of the, the Galilean region preaching, Matthew 4, 17 tells us, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Some translations say is at hand. It is now. It isn't someday. It is right now, Jesus preached. It is right now. It's right here. But the question I want to begin with today 
is what did he mean by the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God? Those are used interchangeably in, in Jesus' teaching and preaching. What did he mean by that? Well, what Jesus was doing is he was giving us a historical summary of the entire biblical narrative, the entire biblical history. He's showing how, how it all has led up to him, and he is the culmination of this entire biblical story. Now, what I'd like to do is take just a couple of minutes and give you a quick overview of the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures that Jesus is saying, I am the summary of, okay? So let's rewind the tape for a minute. Back, okay, all the way to Genesis. Back to Genesis 1.1. God makes a good world. He says it's good. And he makes human beings to rule this world with him. He's, he's put us here, human beings here, as his representatives to do this in an intimate love relationship with him. But in time, human beings rebelled against God, and they rebelled over and over and over. In other words, sinned against God, turned away from him, and it turned to violence, and violence turned to death. But God was committed to the process. He committed to what he started. So he turns to a man named Abraham and to his family. And he says, I'm going to restart the project with you and your family. And through the descendants of Abraham, one of the descendants was named Moses. And God, through Moses, says, I'm going to use you to lead my people into this land of abundance, this promised land. And ultimately, I want to work through my people so that I can restore all the nations of the world back to me. In time, though, Israel, just like the early humans, they rebel against God as a kingdom. They rebel against him over and over, and they worship idols, and, and their, their um, rebellion against God turns into violence, and it turns into idolatry, and ultimately leads to their destruction and their uh, exile, forced into exile. And even in their exile, and even in their rebellion, God sent prophet after prophet after prophet to Israel and then later to Judah and reminded them, I have not given up on you. I still love you and I am going to personally come. God promises this. I'm going to personally come and I'm going to restore you and I'm going to extend through you mercy, grace, love, peace and justice to all the rest of the nations of the world. And this, ladies and gentlemen, herein lies, this is the hope called the kingdom of God that Jesus preached. This is what Jesus, this was the good news that he came to preach, that the kingdom of God has come near. It is at hand. And he is the kingdom, he is bringing the kingdom, Jesus is. It's this new creation where people can be made right with God through his son Jesus and be brought back in this right relationship so that we can work in a cooperative relationship once again with God in his creation, ruling it, not just in this earth, but in the new heaven and the new earth to come. And this was, this was incredibly good news. And this is why you see Jesus over and over liberating people 
because he's bringing this new kingdom, this new creation, this whole new way of thinking about life and world and how to be a human in light of a relationship with God. He liberates people from death. He liberates them from their diseases over and over and over again. He teaches generosity liberating people from greed and all the things that want to infect our heart and control us. He's saying, don't let it. Give to the poor. Help other people. Be generous with your life. Learn to forgive. He's trying to free us from unforgiveness and the hatred and bitterness and jadedness that can happen to our heart. And he teaches us to love our neighbor and not just our neighbor. He teaches us to do something that no one had ever taught to do. That is to love our enemy. And he's saying, you will be markedly different than every other person. This is a countercultural way to live. You will, in all generations, look radically different than the rest of the world if you truly take me serious, if you truly follow what I say here. That Jesus, over and over, was inviting people to live in God's new world, in his kingdom. And Jesus brings the whole biblical story to fulfillment in this moment by preaching the kingdom of heaven has come near. And the New Testament writers reiterate this because they try to help us to see this was not a standalone story. This was a continuation of everything that has come before it. This is why you see the New Testament writers time and again, they're citing direct quotes from the Old Testament. There are 283, counted them this week, okay? 283 direct quotes from the Old Testament just in the Gospels. And there's well over a thousand places that it alludes to Old Testament passages. And most of the quotes, the direct quotes, are Jesus quoting the Old Testament. He wanted people to be clear that I am the fulfillment of everything God has been doing from the beginning to now. This is the kingdom that you've been waiting for. This is the culmination of all that God has prepared for you and for his people. In other words, the gospel writers made it clear that Jesus taught this over and over, that Jesus didn't want us to just know about the kingdom, but he wanted us to participate in the kingdom. And this is so important that we get this right down to today, that Jesus came at a time when the mentality, the going understanding and the, the culture and the world was the only people that really lived the good life and really loved and, and, and honored by God are the rich and powerful, the people who have all, seem to have it all together. And Jesus came teaching just the opposite. He says, if you want to know who is really blessed, you're asking that question, let me tell you, it's the poor in spirit. It's those who mourn. And then today we're going to turn our attention to verse 5 where he says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So let's talk about these key words. First, blessed. We've talked about this before. It means happy, as God defines it. Deep joy, an overwhelming sense of spiritual well-being deep down. This is what he's talking about. Not some superficial happiness, but deep happiness, deep joy. And he says, if you really want that kind of good life, you want that which people back in his day, just like today, are like, yeah, Jesus, I'd like to know how to live a more joyful, happy, fulfilling, deeply fulfilling and well-being kind of life. How do we do that? And he says, well, here's one of the ways and here's one of the categories of people that are invited into the kingdom. It's the 
meek. The meek, the most unlikely word that you would think would come out of his mouth. Now, if I could sum up meek and define it with just one word, it would be the word humility. Humility. I love how C.S. Lewis defines humility. He says that humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less, right? It's thinking of others first. It's putting others before yourself. And this is really important. This is the idea that humility is being humble both before God and it's humbleness before others. And for some people, this comes easier than others. But Jesus says, those who fit into this category are blessed. And they're not just blessed, but they're blessed. They're going to be blessed with the inheritance of the earth. Now, what did he mean by that, the earth? Now, in Jesus' context in that day, his listeners, his hearers would have understood that this idea of earth, first of all, that, word, that Greek word also could be translated land, and that all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the biblical narrative, that God's interaction and his relationship with his people was always connected with, in some ways, with the land, the promised land in particular. And here's what I mean by that. If the people would obey God and they would follow what he said and they would really put him first in their life, then they would get to stay in the land and they would live in peace. But if they rebelled against God and they turned their back on what he said, then they would lose the land and they would be forced into exile. And this is exactly what happened to both Israel and Judah, the divided kingdom later in their stories. You see it over and over. But then... A couple of centuries before Jesus, the Jews were allowed to be uh, emancipated out of their exile, and they came back to the promised land. They came back to their land of promise, and lo and behold, they find that the, the, the Romans are in power. And the Romans are these brutal, cruel, manipulative, and, and on top of that, idol-worshiping people that have no love for the God of Israel. And when they the Jews come back, they are brutal and cruel to them. And they hate it. They, they are so humiliated and they are so saddened. They are so depressed over what they find. They don't know how to, to move forward. In, in other words, it's like, yeah, we're back in our promised land, but we still are living like exiles because we came back and we're living under the thumb of, of, of foreign rule in our own land. It's like you come back to your own house that you at one time paid off like it was yours and now somebody else owns it and they're telling you what you could do with it. And, and like there's all these rules and you got to pay extra rent and you got to pay extra taxes to them and all these things. It just made them so frustrated. So what happened a little by little over time is that more and more of these Jews became zealots. And zealots were simply these violent revolutionaries. And the zealots to the Romans really were like terrorists. And the zealots to many of the Jews were freedom fighters. That's kind of how they saw it. But ultimately, the zealots were people who would use worldly violent tactics to try to accomplish what they believe was God's goals. In other words, they are trying to inherit the land by force. They're going to force it. They're going to fight hard to re-inherit the land that God ultimately had given them. 
And Jesus comes along in the middle of all of this turmoil that's happening in the culture at that time, and he teaches, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. And when he did that, he announced that, it was simultaneously condemning the tactics of the zealots. In other words, it's like Jesus saying, if you're really gonna take me seriously, Jesus was proclaiming that it was not the powerful or the violent or the angry who would accomplish God's purposes, but the gentle, peaceful, and those who would put their trust in him rather than the sword. Now, this is so important that we understand where Jesus was coming from and what he was teaching because let's be really honest and think carefully about the world that we live in right now. We live in a divided kingdom right now too, don't we? A divided nation that is very much us against them. It is very easy in a culture like this to begin to adopt the tactics of the zealots. It is so tempting to begin to use worldly tactics like coercion and power and fear to inherit the land, to take back the land for Jesus, some people feel like. And Jesus comes along saying, you're doing this in my name, really? This is the opposite of what I've taught. Are you really gonna take me seriously? Jesus comes along saying, if you really want the blessed life, if you really want to live a life that is in sync and in harmony with my heavenly Father, then you will listen to what I have to say about what it means to be meek. Let me give you a little more robust definition of meekness. It does not mean being a doormat, right? That's not meekness. Meekness is having the power or the right to do something, but refraining from it for the benefit of of another. In other words, and I love this, it's harnessed power. Think of a war horse under a warrior with that bridle over its head. It's harnessed power. It is doing whatever the master tells it to do. I love the story I recently read about how the Arabian horses are trained in a rigorous way over in the Middle Eastern deserts that the master trainers will take these horses and they will teach them how to, to trust and obey the master over and over, all kinds of tests. Well, one of the tests is that they will deprive the horses of water for a couple of days. So the horses are dying for a drink. And then they release the horses to go towards the water source and they just take off running as fast as they can. And right before they get to the water, just about to get that much needed drink, and the master trainer blows the whistle. And if the horse has learned to trust and obey, it will turn around and it will come back to its master. And there the master will give the horse as much water as it needs because the master knows what the horse needs and can provide it and will provide it. But it's important that the horse learns to trust and obey in that moment. In a very similar way, our Heavenly Father knows what His children need. He knows what our, our, the deepest thirsts of our soul, what we yearn for. And He asks us to come and trust Him. and He can provide it. He, he can and will provide it. But we have to be willing to hand over the reins to Him as master and trust him. It's harness 
power because only he knows what our deepest thirsts of our soul are and he, only he, is capable of quenching that thirst. It is him. It is walking with him. It is a life with him. It is living the way he designed us to live, which is gonna feel so countercultural to the world that we live in around us, but he's called, it to, called us to it. It's being willing to volunteer, voluntarily enduring hardship for another. Jesus says, if you want the blessed life, if you really wanna know what blessed is, this is blessed. It's that kind of service. It's living your life for that kind of service. And it's willing to voluntarily, not being forced, but voluntarily enduring hardship for another. It's so powerful when we begin to put that into practice. And you think about it, this wasn't something Jesus just taught. It wasn't something that he just preached. He modeled this over and over again. Think about it for just a minute. Jesus came to earth as the sinned against party. He was God in the flesh. Humanity had sinned against him over and over and over and over and over. And even to him personally as a human being, sinned against. And he was the one who came to initiate reconciliation with all of humankind so that God and mankind, womankind, humankind could have a relationship once again. But you see this incredible sense of voluntarily enduring hardship for another all the way down to the cross. In Luke chapter 23, verse 34, here he is hanging on the cross. He's praying to the Father. He's saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Ultimate expression of meekness and humility. <clears throat> Ultimate expression of, I'm going to sacrifice my power and my rights for the benefit of somebody else. It's beautiful. Now, now think about this for just a minute, ladies and gentlemen. If that was you and I's approach, our approach to relationships, there would be almost nothing we couldn't work through in our friendships, in our marriages, in our families. If we brought that approach to every human relationship, that we really took Jesus seriously and say, I'm gonna really, God help me, I'm gonna really try to start living like that. I'm gonna really try to start living, like loving people like that. There's almost nothing you couldn't get past, right? And this is exactly the words of the Apostle Paul as he echoes the teaching of Jesus when he writes his letter to the church in Philippi, Philippians chapter 2, starting with verse 5, Jesus, or pardon me, Paul begins by talking about Jesus. He says, in your relationships with one another, in your relationships with one another, have the same, let's say it together, have the same mindset, the same approach, the same philosophy, the same conviction, the same Countercultural approach to people as Jesus had. He says, I want you to have that same mindset as Christ Jesus. Who, and let, let me unpack that a little further, Paul says. Who being in very nature God, make no mistake about it, Jesus was God completely and totally. He was also a human being. Who in, being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Not once do you see Jesus saying, well, hey guys, I'm God, so like, y'all need to be doing exactly what I say. You need to be, everybody needs to be washing my feet. You always see Jesus washing everybody else's feet, right? You always see Jesus 
humbling himself. He's setting us an example over and over. He didn't leverage his godhood, his divinity, to make his life easier. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say, rather, rather than doing that, here's what he did. He made himself, let's say it together, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. A servant isn't making everybody serve them, right? A servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled, there's our other word for meek right there, humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is the ultimate expression of meekness. And guess what? God used it to change the world. He, he is continuing to use it to change the world. That Jesus gave his life freely. No one took it from him. He freely laid it down for you and for me so that we might be forgiven of sin and we might be invited into the kingdom of God and we get invited into a life that is countercultural to the world that we live in because there is such freedom in that. It is the way in which God created us to live and it is beautiful. It's the ultimate act of meekness and humility. Jesus laid down his life for all of humanity and he's not asking you to lay down your life for all of humanity. He's simply asking you to just be humble. Jesus says, if you're, if you're really going to take me seriously, if we're really saying, okay, I, I'm taking Jesus seriously, then it's going to require some things of us. First of all, then you will humble yourself, right? And I want you to think about specific areas of your life where you also are going to need to apologize. Who do you need to apologize with? Two, humble yourself and make an apology for something you did, for something you said. You need to show gratitude. We got a lot of students coming back in town. This would be a great weekend to, to reach back out to mom and dad and say, thank you so much. I couldn't be here. I couldn't get this education. I couldn't even have this next step in my life. It weren't for all your sacrifices. Have you told your spouse thank you in a while? Have you told the people that you work around, your employer, whoever it is that your life depends on them? You may not always like them, but... <laughs> You owe them a thanks, right? Gratitude. <clears throat> Have you told your parents in a while? <clears throat> Maybe it's forgiveness. Who is it that God has put in your life? He's saying, I want you. The next step for you in terms of <clears throat> you personally handing the reins of, uh, over to the Lord is you need to forgive this person. And you may say, well, they don't deserve to be forgiven. Guess what? Neither did you. And Jesus forgave you. He's not asking you to forgive only the people you think deserve it. He's asking you to freely forgive, give forgiveness the way you were freely given forgiveness. That's how you walk like a person who belongs to the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdom of earth. He's saying, I want you to apologize. I want you to show gratitude. I want you to forgive. I want you to reconcile, which is the next step after forgive. It's to serve someone in need. Is there somebody in need around you in your life that God's saying, listen, I want you to help. I want you to call. I want you to text. I want you to see if you can help. I want you to show up. I want you to, I want you to offer what you can, right? Sacrifice your comfort for someone else. This is what harnessed power looks like. This is what sacrificing our power, our position, our rights for the sake of someone else. This is the heart of Jesus. And he's saying, I'm inviting you 
to come and do what I have already set an example for you to do. And Jesus is saying, this is the blessed life. This is what it means to be blessed in my kingdom. This is what it looks like to emulate me. It's going to be radically different from what probably your friends and your family and your other people do. But you can help set the tone for others to say, she's acting like Jesus. He's acting like Jesus. I'm going to follow them because there is going to be fruit from your life that will come from no, no other way except by fully trusting him and saying, I'm going to take you seriously, Jesus. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.